Are you well, Jonathan? Yes, thank you. Uh, good. A bit sniffly. Good, good, uh, nice commute home. Oh, it was a delight. It was an absolute delight. I got. I finished work 40 minutes early, got home half an hour later than normal, two and a half hours from Shoreditch. What's going Apparently, on? A broken down freight train somewhere near Richmond mm. threw everything out. So that's really annoying. I find it very hard to keep calm when my trains are um, out of kilter. It's the one thing about working in town that I really hate, the commute and the fact that you can't do anything about it when it all goes wrong. Mm. <clears throat> More time to write um, write some outlines. Well, yes. Uh yeah, not on the train though. It's usually a bit too busy. Right. So, what yeah. have you been doing? What other things? What have I been doing? <laughs> Refer to my notes because I can't remember. Do you know that I went out for uh, some drinks with work last night? <clears throat> uh, this is the thing that's freshest in my mind. And went to a place called the Whistling Shop on Worship Street, uh, and it's a cocktail bar, one of these posh Shoreditch style cocktail bars where all the bartenders and mixologists are hipsters with um, waxed moustaches um, and I discovered my new favourite cocktail. My old favourite cocktail was an old fashioned specifically a smoked old fashioned but last night I had a, uh, a fire of Elodin which I assume is just one of theirs, I've never heard of it but it was um, smoky whiskey uh, kind of, I think there was an orange liqueur in there ginger wine and it was absolutely incredible. Wow! I could have, I could have drunk it, drunk it by the bucketful. Did you drink it from a dragon skull or something? It's got a name of a uh, rings uh, of fantasy, doesn't it? Were you no, in some it, kind it was, of fantasy it was, bar? It was in a pewter tankard. <laughs> of course, it was with a huge sprig of uh, corn sticking out of it. You what? Yeah, a sprig of corn. How? Yeah. Do, how can you? you even... know, an ear or two? Oh, oh, right. Ah. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, it meant like a corn on the cob. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it was definitely one of those bars. Some of the cocktails had goat's cheese in, uh, olive oil, all sorts of strange things. Did you have to queue to get in? <laughs> no. <laughs> I didn't, but that might have been because of the prices, John. Cool. Was it was it special? Uh, it's 11 quid. Ah. For, uh, for a drink, which is significantly more than this drop that I'm just pouring myself. What's that? It's a, a pint of mild. Nice. But I've not had a pint of mild for about 15 years, I don't think. I like a half and to, half. Is that... Is yeah, yeah. To, yeah. yeah. Uh, we, used to, we used to get... When I used to manage a bar in York by the river, we used to get kegs of mild in to sell at a pound a pint to the university hockey club. Right. I think they're the only person, the only people that ever drank it. Huh. I, don't, I, don't, I quite like it. You don't often see it in the uh, in the chillers in uh, in pubs these days, do you? Certainly not sure that you don't. Know. It's probably it's, it's probably gone around again. It's, it's going to come back. Hit, you better yeah. buy up all the stock as much yeah. mild as you can get hold of. <clears throat> yes, uh, but yeah. So cocktails last night. Um, I've done a bit of writing this week on my lunch. I've been working in Shoreditch again. Did a bit of writing on my lunch, did a bit of doodling, did some little sort of life drawing people. I was drinking coffee, sat in a coffee bar in Shoreditch on Curtain Road, looking out the window and doing tiny little thumbnail sort of silhouette type things of the people walking past, which was nice. I don't draw enough people, so I think that would be something I um, try and do a lot more of. Yeah. Um, yeah, and a bit of writing, kind of my asteroid belt blues sci-fi stuff. Yeah, we've got it in uh, line to come back and talk about private projects, haven't we, when we actually yes. do something about them. Um, so it'd be interesting to hear how you're getting on with that. Yeah. What about yourself? Um, we have a red painted cross on the door at the moment. Uh, um, yeah, we've got sickness in the house. So um, my daughter's been poorly this week and uh, and bingo, my dog isn't very well. Oh no! No, he's got some. <clears throat> he's got progressive um, lung disease. The vet called it, which is um, oh. yeah, it's uh, it's not curable. 
So um, it's kind of like a fibrosis on his lungs. Well, it's going to get worse. From working down mine. It was, yeah. He was from Wales. Um, yeah. And uh, it's, it's, yeah. And also stripping those roofs off those council houses. Yeah. <clears throat> but no, he's, um, yes, but he's all right. He's just struggling to breathe a bit. But hopefully we can make him as comfortable as possible. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, bless Poor him. Little, sod. little bingo. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, what else? Uh, I've been mainly doing design for one particular client, uh, designing templates um, for their internal team to build their WordPress website with. Yep. Uh, so that's taken up all my week and I've literally, I, I've left the house to walk the dogs and maybe go, I think I've been for one run this week and, uh, the rest of it, I've just been looking after sick children and doing that. Mm. Um, have you managed to stay well? Or no, you- I've got, a, I've got a tickly throat, but that's cause she was, um, lying on top of me for the entire night last night, which sort of, you know, just dribbling See. germs into me. Um, <laughs> it's the best way to get a cold, <laughs> just yeah. direct contact. Um, I was talking to Dan Bull at lunchtime and he's had the same with one of his sons. Right. And he spent, came into his bed last night and spent the rest of the evening coughing into his face, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's what they do. Um, she's fine, but his son's 23. <laughs> <laughs> Cha-ching. Um, yeah. And, um, we had the, yeah, so she's been sick as well, which is always fun. Um, so mm. yeah, so it's been top, top laugh. So Sunday, um, rather than get, uh, my printer out and start playing around with that, I was, um, just cleaning vomit off of everything. Yeah. yeah. Uh, not much fun in the back of a car. No, I can imagine. No, I would imagine. Is it a smell that lingers? Yeah. 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 Uh, so, yeah. Well, let's not go there. Um, <laughs> uh, what else? I've watched, um, I watched just to keep my anxiety levels as high as possible. I've been watching Black Mirror and oh, okay. uh, I watched um, Adam Curtis's new film, Hypernormalization, mm. um, which, uh, if you've not watched any of his films, kind of ramps up paranoia to uh, an 11. Yeah, I know nothing about him or his work. It's yeah. something that's entirely passed me by. Lots of people have been talking about it. Um, and I'm like, huh? what? Yeah, I've only recently discovered him because uh, we had a friend um, uh, from Spain and she came, and she mentioned that she loved watching his stuff. So I watched um, his last film. I can't remember what that's called. Um, it sort of traces the uh, the history of the relationship between America and Saudi Arabia. Right. Um, and this one um, actually focuses on Trump uh, and how um, uh, how we've become normalized to lies, basically. Uh, it's post, a lot post truth society. Yeah, well, that's that's the new phrase that's come out this mm. week, isn't it? But um, the uh, yeah, it's 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 a brilliant film. It's um, kind of just his style is very much. Um, lots of snippets of news items with uh, narrative over the top and then just yeah. um, occasional title cards um, that are just set in all sorts of different type. Um, and uh, yeah, and uh, it's good, but it's three hours long. So yeah, you might want to break it up into bits. Yeah. I'll definitely watch that just so I know what everyone's talking about. Yeah. Uh, what do you make of Black Mirror? How much have you watched of that? Well, I've never watched any of the previous ones. So no, I, haven't. I, I watched I haven't a couple any. of um of the old series and I've now watched some of the new ones which are obviously a lot glossier. And they are, aren't they? a lot of the stories I, I like. Yeah, I've re- I've really enjoyed some of them. Um some of them don't work so well. It's a bit like uh, Tales of the Unexpected, isn't it? It it's is. Like an yeah. updated version of that. Tales uh, of the Unexpected Twilight Zone kind of curiosities yeah. but the production values are really high really yeah, really they're new. good oh, they've got proper stars and things haven't they yeah have you seen the one about i don't know which one it was called it at uh, what it was called but it was about uh, a video game this guy goes to test a video game yes you know? i loved that one I that was brilliant. yeah that one was good yeah. um and i thought the um i can't remember what it's called now the one about the the kind of social network type thing in america where everyone uh, everyone's social standing is based on oh, yeah. their likes. Yeah, I yeah. thought that was good as well. Yeah. Well done. But they, they really get future right, don't they, in it? Like all the devices, the gadgets. Um, I just think they really nail it. Yeah, um, they're not trying to go too far, are they? I no. Think that's, you know, that's, when you look back at sci-fi from 
10 or 20 years ago, the one thing that none of them got right was the kind of miniaturization of everything, you know, uh, supercomputers in the palm of your hand and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I think that's definitely, you know, looks good in these things. But you never know. We might look back in 10 years' time and think, God, they got that wrong. <laughs> yeah, no, I've, enjoyed, I've enjoyed that. Yeah, and like I say, the printer's still in the box. I've uh, been done my VAT this week. And um, I'm desperately trying not to book any work in for December so that I can start this new business up yeah. and get it started. We deserve um, a, a month off. Yeah. Well, I'm just trying not to let um, let projects slip because that's what they tend to do. You know, I'm booked in you know, on a project that I was meant to be doing this design work at the beginning of uh, October that I'm now doing now. So, you know, yeah. um, things just get delayed and it's impossible to plan for but i can't grumble um got loads of work on so yes mm. uh yes so on to news i i've i've had loads of news this week i don't know why because it feels like i've only just edited the last episode well i, I have only just edited the last episode. <laughs> well I'm, I'm glad you've got loads of news um, because it's been a bit frantic for me to try and get things together yeah um, but yeah do you want to uh, let's let's go with what have you got? Well, let's start with um, next week is the launch of the new design museum. Um, it's moved uh, west to Kensington sort of area. Yeah, um, I think we should definitely have a visit of it. Um, yep. their new website's up and running. It's Wim Crowell uh, has done some graphics for it. Do you know? Oh, him? I love a bit of. Is it Vim or Wim? Is it Vim? Probably Vim, isn't it? The last actually the last time I went to the design museum at uh where was it kind of butler's wharf or down that way wasn't it yeah. near the near tower bridge it was for the vim or wim crowl exhibition that they did which is was just magnificent so right yeah but yeah we good. should definitely go and have a peek yeah they've they've installed the the story is actually of um uh a refugee um like shed that IKEA have designed and are distributed okay, yeah. through the world, and they've installed one outside. Uh, well, outside the entrance to High Street Kensington Tube Station, mm-hmm. which is now pedestrianised, like the rest of the world. And um, yeah, and it's. I, I just thought that that was a, a, a really um, worthy design story that needs, you know, needs to be promoted. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a sort of modular system that can be easily put up. Um, converted into all sorts of, you know, um, medical and uh, housing. And, you know, there are now 60-something million displaced people in the world. Yeah. I mean, we're getting to sort of World War Two levels of displaced people. Um, so, uh, I, you know, it's good to see that uh, designers are coming up with positive uh, products to help people who need shelter. Absolutely. Yeah, like we've we talked about before about the need for designers to do things that are for the the greater good, haven't we? And that's definitely one of them. Yeah, um, and then that takes me on to things that you know the greater not good, um, which is uh, America. Uh, we didn't talk about it last week, but there's been so much um, uh, interesting interviews with really clever people about what's going to happen. Um, and one that I read is Noam Chomsky. Um, He's been interviewed in uh, on a website called truthout.org, which mm-hmm. I'm guessing is quite, I don't, I've never heard of, but I'm guessing is quite a, a left-wing um, yeah. website. Uh, and it's, um, but it's, he hasn't got much good to say about humanity, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. Uh, um, so, I, and I wanted to just counter uh, balance the last positive view with what is happening in the world um and you know how can how can design help to change people's mindsets rather than just help them when they're in need do you see what i mean yeah it's i mean i've tried to think about that as well and i don't know i don't know what the answer is i don't know how i think one of the problems is people seem so set in their opinions these days don't they I mean, certainly in the, the US election it was so uh, divided that no one would you know none of the voters were rarely listening to the other side's arguments at all um, and like you say in, in your notes there about 40% of the US population doesn't believe in 
global warming. I saw a stat saying 40% of the people who voted for Donald Trump believed that Hillary Clinton had signed a pact with the devil. And against that kind of, I don't know, ignorance, what, what can design do? No, I mean, he, he puts it succinctly by saying, you know, if science conflicts with the Bible so much the worse for science, it would be hard to find an analogue in other societies. And that's, you know, in other societies across the world, there is no other society <laughs> behaving in such a um, such a strange way. Yeah. It seems like they are hell-bent on uh, destroying humanity. It really does, you know. Um, anyway, I know we should we <laughs> try not to go there, but I'm gonna d- then just and then just swing like I'm swinging on vines through through politics here, uh, you know, okay. in a kind of really light way. But I'll finish on this one, which is um, positive government action. You know, government can do good things. And one thing that I read in the news this week that was really great is, um, and it's back to creative again, is um, that it, it, it the Italian government is giving every eighteen year old. Um, uh, 500 euros to spend on culture brilliant isn't that wonderful it is they can buy books tickets um, they can apply for a grant and they get a voucher to spend That's it on whatever they need and next year they're doing that for teachers to help them uh, oh, learn stuff so I, I just think that's a wonderful thing for a government to do it's not a huge spend for them yeah it's going to cost them several hundred million euros but that that kind of it's that it's that investment in education and culture that will produce artists designers um engineers you know clever people doing clever things because they yeah. were encouraged to it's how you know the british micro um uh, revolution in the early 80s how that came about you know yeah just investment in it and um i think that that's uh that's a really noble noble gesture from uh, well, italian government well i think it's interesting from an economics point of view as well because you know the european governments have have uh been printing money since the crash haven't they to stimulate the economy um but all that money generally goes to banks to buy bonds and to service debts and to so they can then loan more money to other businesses and other financial institutions. And there's been lots of talk about, you know, rather than printing money to give to banks and institutions, you'd be better off printing money to give to people so that they could spend it and stimulate the economy that way and alleviate some of the cuts that um, that have been necessary since 2008 in the crash. So I guess that's a perfect. I think they call, do they call it helicopter economics. You're just effectively, you're just dropping money on society. But that's a brilliant way of doing it. That, that to me just doesn't seem to have any downsides. Um, mm. You know, if if as a government you're reticent about just giving people money to spend because you're worried about what they're going to spend it on, then you know, give it a, a little spin like that, and you know, target that money that to to be spent on things that are going to benefit society yeah great idea i mean i'm in agreement with you good the, the, you know we for for a for a show that's named after conflict there's very little apart from eating pie uh mince pies in november hey there's nothing wrong with that if john lewis says it's christmas it's christmas all right uh so i've got a bit of news which is uh it's been on the the national news today, the James Dyson, the uh, vacuum cleaner magnet, has uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, he's created a um, uh, the James Dyson Award, which is um, an award for inventions, and it's been I don't know if this is the inaugural year of it, um, but it's been won by someone who has designed a foldable bicycle helmet. So basically the idea was that so many people use um, bike share schemes, like the Boris bikes in London, and they're they're kind of quite well um, used across Europe. And I think uh, San Francisco has something similar as well, and doubtless other American cities. Um, but unless you take a helmet with you, then you're going to be cycling helmetless in the middle of a, a big city, which is not a good idea. 
uh, she's invented a, a helmet which looks at first glance quite like one of those concertina paper Christmas decorations that you kind of unfold and it creates a globe or a, uh, a snowflake. But it's it's built in such a way that it can absorb impacts. Um, and I guess that the kind of honeycomb nature of it allows it to to crumple like the crumple zone of a car and spread the, the point of impact across the head so, to limit any damage. Um, so she's won the £30,000 prize to take it towards commercial um, kind of point. You know, she needs to kind of work on the, the design of it and the, the construction so that it's waterproof. But it's, it's designed to be cheap and whilst not quite throwaway, you'd only use it you know, a few times. Um, but it would serve people cycling without a helmet, which I think is a great idea because particularly in London and, and I think particularly kind of in East London and the city sort of Shoreditch Way and Old Street, you know, it's just so dangerous to to cycle. Yeah. Um, that to do it without a helmet, you'd be bonkers. But it's really cool because it's, you know, it's designed to fold away. And I think she describes it as folding away to the size of a large banana. Uh, which obviously is just something you can put in your backpack. And then if you happen to hire a bike that day, you pull out your banana. Correct. Um, Yeah. Well, congratulations to her because it's such a, it's one of those brilliant bits of design that's so simple um, and costs so little to make, but it will save people's lives. And uh, yeah, I think it's, it's great. Yeah, good stuff. That I think. And you can, uh, and you know, if you're not riding at Christmas, you can use it as a decoration. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. Uh, what's next on your list? <laughs> um, oh, it's a return to uh, a uh, a branding um, story, which is the Mozilla one that we looked at. Uh, oh yes. ages ago they've they've updated again they see right. if you go to their website which is blog.mozilla.org uh they have um they've got a timeline there and they're still stuck on september so they're in refinement um and they have sort of come up with the next iteration of of um of designs but it it, it has turned out to be a really interesting journey and interesting story to read um mm. it's johnson banks who are doing the design on it um, and I think he's actually just released a book, hasn't he? Did we talk about that a couple of weeks ago? Or um, we no, might have skipped so. over that, um, which is about branding. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting. The, the logos are taking shape now, and they're looking much more designed. Um, yeah, they look a bit slicker, don't they? Yeah, I especially like the uh, the blue one and the dinosaur. I think that's quite cool. Yeah, the Mizzle yeah. one, the the Mizzle one, the uh, the blue one. I think you know, it's it pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. It works, doesn't it? Um, but yeah. yeah, so it's you know it's a really brave and open way of uh, of coming up with with design. Um, so yeah, keep an eye on that one. Um, what, what's your next story? Uh, it's a story that I was going to a uh, part of it. I was going to mention a while ago, and I thought maybe we could do um, an episode on colour because it's, you know there's an awful lot as a designer that you can talk about colour. You can talk about how bad I am with colour, or you can talk about... How bad I am with colour. Let's talk about how bad we are with colour. But, you know, colour in design and the the way that colours can make you feel, and you can talk about colour in art. I thought that was quite an interesting theme for a show. But it was uh, was, uh, prompted because Anish Kapoor, a few months ago or last year, got the rights to use the world's blackest black which was a pigment called Vanta Black, and I think it's made of carbon nanotubes, and it absorbs, you know, 99.9999% of visible light. So it's, it's it just looks like a, a, a rift in time and space, I think. Um, but there was a lot of uproar at the time that he, as an artist, had been given the exclusive rights to use it. Um, I don't I suppose there were artists queuing up looking for the world's blackest black but i think it was for any sort of vaguely creative purposes he's the only person that can use it um so someone has retaliated uh uk artist stuart semple has released the world's most vivid pink uh, which he's developed um, with a paint lab Uh, and it's only available from one supplier 
And in order to buy it, you must promise that you are not Anish Kapoor, <laughs> which I thought was lovely. Um, Anish Kapoor, I don't think, has made any friends with his um, his kind of uh, strict uh, kind of copyright that he's got on some of his pigments and this Fanta Black thing. I think he's he also tried to ban people taking photographs around. Is it called the Bean in Chicago? Right. Um, because people were taking pictures of his sculpture and he was, I think he was saying it was infringing his copyright. <clears throat> so uh, I think it's good that someone's uh, had a little tongue-in-cheek dig back at Anish Kapoor. Yeah, thumbed their noses. Yeah, it looks like the colour of germaline. <laughs> um, which obviously makes me think of um, root beer. Yes. Yeah, it does taste like germaline, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, what's up next? I'm going to start with uh, a news, a press press item that came out this week that's uh, a little bit strange from Apple. Um, they've released a book. Uh, have Absolutely. you seen this a photo yes, book? Um, odd, odd, and uh, well, I won't say what I've wrote on my notes, but um, I don't oh, see. Yes. I don't see. I yeah, it's utterly cultish, isn't it? It's a cultish thing to release. It, it's not a book about how they, de- how, you know, the story of how they've designed stuff or any, it's just literally just photographs of their products um, from the last, I don't know how many years. 20 years. So Is it's it 20 basically years? from uh, the Bondi Blue iMac right. onwards. So it's very much Jonathan Ives. Yeah. Reign over and there, there's, a, there, there's a whole load of, I mean, if you want to watch the film, then go ahead and, you know, fill your boots but i can't be bothered but there's a whole load of nonsense about you know the processes that they've gone through to make this book it's a book all right you went through some processes (laughs) i know it's really special it's very expensive it's a couple hundred dollars for us for the small one and 300 for the yeah which obviously which obviously will equate to 350 quid probably yeah so it's in a beautiful Uh, slip case and all those kind of things and and i'm sure people will buy it in droves um, I won't be putting it on any Christmas list of mine. No, it absolutely um, reinforces what I said was it last week or the week before about the Kickstarter um, jargon that's kind of sparked by Johnny Ives' quietly whispered videos for Apple uh, in the way that everything is described in these certain terms. I think, what's it say? Uh, available in two sizes and printed on specially milled custom dyed paper with gilded matte silver edges using eight colour separations and low ghost ink this linen bound hardcover volume was developed over an eight year period and it's just it's a book (laughs) they've they've stopped it's it's annoyed me and it's made me realise that Apple have stopped designing things for people to use and they're just designing them to massage their own egos they've never been interested in designing for people have they uh, i mean you know th- this this is a company that was led by steve jobs who you know couldn't deal with people on a well, personal basis and um they, well, they maybe make- it was dis- despite that the products they produced were some of the most user-friendly compared to their competitors but now i think they're beginning to lose that and it's they're just doing things because they can you know all this stuff about all the different processes and milling machines and oh, yeah just doesn't make it any easier to use uh, i mean that's followed by another another product that i saw that um has uh, there's a a ruler by um this guy called Erdem Selig and that <laughs> uses the, well. the same the same kind of language and i think this is where designers don't do themselves any favors and we were talking about this with the um the composition book what was it Composi- yeah, yeah. Comp, comp, comp book, book. um which I still don't know what that is. Um, but anyway, the, it, basically this ruler is a corrugated ruler. So it has no, it's like a slightly scalloped, if you if you can yeah. imagine. Um, and it doesn't have any markings on it. But it's um, it's been made to, to help distracting offices become places of concentration. Now, I, uh, you know, I suffer from uh, from being distracted easily, but I thought that was phones and emails. But apparently it's the ruler on my desk that's been distracting yeah. me after all all this time and it's 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 disingenuous to suggest that 
just because you make something beautiful means that it solves a problem that doesn't exist in the first place. Yeah, it doesn't make it more worthwhile. No. And it's like people work at, uh, he's interviewed and it's like people work at home now, so they need something that blends into the background more easily. Really? Do they? I'm not going to find the bloody thing. (laughs) It just, you know, isn't it going to leave ridges as your pen runs down it anyway? That's exactly what I thought. Absolutely. Anyway, yeah, but it's that it's that <laughs> continued language. Now, I'm going to go to something that is really uh, and jump to another story because I've, I've tied all these together. Rob, have you seen? It's brilliant. Um, the uh, there's a new book out, um, and I love this publishing house. And they don't um, they just let their work do the talking. And they are called Read Only Memory, and they've re- published a few books now. They're beautifully produced, lovingly created books that are about generally the British um, game design industry. And this one is the Bitmap Brothers universe. And um, it looks absolutely beautiful. It's been designed by Darren Wall, who is involved in loads of design stuff. And, you know, he has got amazing design chops. And I think he's done a fantastic job with this book. Um, Yes, you could compare it to the Apple one, but it's got a story in it. It talks about things. It doesn't tell you what paper it's printed on or what loving, you know, binding that they've done on it. I mean, it, it's just it's just a beautiful looking object. And I want one for Christmas, please. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm just thinking that might have to go on my Christmas list I, as well. I love Speedball, Speedball too. too. Yeah. I mean, uh, that was my game at university that we used to play. Yeah. Uh, a lot and funnily enough actually this week they've uh, games workshop have re-released an old game that was similar to it but it was a board game called um blood bowl do you remember that, that one i do yeah yeah um, god that yeah takes me back is, yeah. is it 40 years of games workshop or something this week or 35 years or? is it it'll be yeah well when did they start 1977 so so yeah yeah maybe it's 40 years next yeah. year wow <laughs> But yeah, yeah, I saw Daniel Greer was tweeting stuff about Greer oh, Games Workshop this week, wasn't he? Was he? Hmm. Oh, I haven't seen. Uh, no, I haven't seen it. But yeah, so go readonlymemory.vg. They produce some brilliant, brilliant stuff. Um, it just and, makes me excited seeing those graphics. Yeah, I've got the Sensible Software book, um, yeah. which was good. But I think that, yeah, there were a few issues with the printing on it. Um, but I think this one looks absolutely wonderful. Yeah. Fun. When I say issues, they, they, the margin was set really close to the edge, so it was really hard to read because it was quite a thick book. So when you folded it out, you couldn't read any of the words. Um, yeah. But it was was great because I love sensible software as well. Anyway, I'll shut up now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's right. all. That's my news. Oh, well, let me see what else I've got because I've got one other thing here. Let's see. Oh, it's about the uh, Foster and Partners uh, redesigning or developing the aviary at London Zoo. When I first came to London, when I was about five years old, <clears throat> I had a broken arm. I don't know why that matters, but I did. Um, and we went to London Zoo. And it's the aviary that is the thing that stands out most in my memory. Um, I think because it's such a kind of big quite sort of futuristic looking structure um, built originally in the 60s and now it's going to be redeveloped um, which I think is is going to be quite interesting to see what they do with it because it is such a well-known building for visitors um, so I'm really excited to know what they do and there's absolutely no information about what plans they have for it um, except that it's going to have a walkthrough area with colobus monkeys, which sounds great. Right. Um, so I'm going to be very excited to see what happens there. It's a long time since I've been to the zoo, um, and I'll have to go again. My, I, this is the the most tenuous and Z-list claim to fame. At a party at London Zoo once, I got drunk in the aquarium. And whilst leaning up against the octopus tank, I talked to the man who came up with the can't get better than a quick fit fitter song. <laughs> Am there I dreaming go. this? No. No, there you go. Wow. Well, let's end yeah. the news on that bombshell. Let's. <laughs> yes. So do you want to uh, do you want to introduce this week's topic? Do you know we might want to introduce this week's show? <laughs> <laughs> 
no, let's not bother. <laughs> okay. People don't know what it is now. I'll record no, it on. at the end and then stick on. it on the beginning again. Okay, go for it. Uh, well, this week we are, um, well, last week, I should say, we were talking about um, pet hates um, and it seemed to go down well with our listeners yeah. and uh, we enjoyed it a lot. So we said at the end of it, we we're going to actually talk about things that we love about design, um, which I found really hard. <laughs> yeah, I did as well. Um, it was quite a, an abstract concept for me, I think. Yeah. Uh, to try and get my head round. So I think that's one of the things, isn't it? There is there's kind of specifics about design that you can love about the, the job of being in design. Uh, and there's the kind of history of design and, you know, things that other people have designed that you can admire and love and relish seeing and using. And then yeah. there's that more abstract thing about what it is about designing stuff that we love. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's a good it's a good subject. I mean, my I think also it kind of it immediately flags up my my tension internal turmoil over what I you know what I am and uh, and whether I well whether I was a designer and I and I fought against that and and struggled with it for a long long time because I was kind of working in production. It you know I felt like a fraud, um, mm. and now I run. A, a design studio i guess um but i still feel like you know my work isn't the stuff i'm doing isn't exactly where i want to be so i'm always in flux so i never feel comfortable um so it hasn't been easy process so thinking about it as an enjoyable thing is kind of like it's difficult for me to to imagine do you do you see what i mean yeah I so do. i'm trying to um so i'm trying to find positives in it that don't sound like i'm just moaning because i you know i've obviously committed my life to it i've learned a hell of a lot through it i've met lots of amazing people but i'm still in that process so um i can i'll be able to look back on things but yeah so I, and the reason for this if you haven't listened to it before is i have no formal education in in design you just leave it at that yeah <laughs> brought, brought by wolves <laughs> i was brought up by medieval wolves who taught me how to um interpret illuminations on manuscripts no um no i was uh so i uh, so I've, for me the problem the the missing thing i have in my in, in my di- in my dialogue is is design language um and so it's hard for me to pinpoint things that made me become a designer because it was by accident yeah. um but i have I've, I've gone back and sort of looked at things that obviously fascinated me and probably tipped me towards doing design if you see what i mean Mm. um so i think my first one is my dad had this had eagle old eagle comics yeah he had this sort of i think it was an anniversary annual or whatever and i used to love it because it had all the exploded three-dimensional drawings that were in the comic they used to be on the back pages didn't they i think um and you know of like uh aircraft and uh, just you know destroyers and spaceships yeah. and all sorts of things like that um i just absolutely love those and i used to draw those you know that's what i used to sit sit drawing as a kid and kind of i guess that is one of my one of the things that i can touch on that, that made me love design you know the blending between illustration and information yeah yeah i think um yeah i think that's fair for for me as well um and it's weird i don't know if the things i was interested in um may developed me into a designer or whether there was something kind of innate in my nature that would have would have guided me there anyway because i was always i always liked i whenever i drew even as a kid it was always very precise stuff i used to draw quite small on a page and you know, I never used to kind of slap paint around. It was all little technically type stuff. And I, so I think there was always a, maybe I was always just going to veer towards design and, you know, that kind of stuff. But like you say about the exploded diagrams and stuff, that's absolutely something that I loved in relation to the, kind of the books I had on space as well. Yeah. You know, 
big exploded diagrams of Saturn V rockets and stuff. Yeah, and then uh, and sliced open planets with all the bits inside them. Yeah. I used to love all those. Um, and then I was thinking the other thing was um, the instructions to airfix kits. I used to I love those kind of diagrams. Yeah. Um, and and the decals that you used to get with, with your aeroplanes, you know, the tiny little numbers that you always oh, tore. I used to get a bit bored by you'd, that. You'd leave, leave them in the water and then they'd all just float off, yeah. wouldn't they? <laughs> I was very bad at those. Yeah, I was great. Used to get left off. No, I wasn't good at that. I mean, I normally I'd stuck. The, you know, the first thing you do is get the pilot, isn't it? And the, yeah. I'd normally covered that in glue and then <laughs> touched the uh, the clear perspex. Um, the, the canopy. Yeah. The, then yeah. you know, then the glue would uh, like frost it, and then you'd be yeah. really cross. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I think that, that those things, um, and, and like you, I think I, I didn't even think about design, you know, I didn't even know it was a, uh, a thing, you know, it, it, you know, before I was, you know, I don't know, before college, I guess I, d- I hadn't thought about it at all. You know, I think if I was going to go to art college, which I wanted to do, it was going to be doing fine art. Um, I hadn't thought about a career in graphic design. And even when I came out and I started looking for copywriting jobs, I didn't think about, design uh i thought about advertising you know writing yeah. stuff um and it's only when i started um picking apart designs that were sent to me because i was working in a sign studio that i started you know thinking oh, you know yeah I, I quite like this um but i didn't have any knowledge of it whatsoever you know yeah. I, had, I was completely uh, you know an innocent an innocent coming to coming to design but yeah another another thing that i can think of is uh, we talked about last week is tintin um definitely got me drawing again drawing planes and trains and but wanting to draw them accurately yeah um, and it's kind of that being able to copy something really accurately yeah i, I think for me it was 2000 ad and commando comics right um that i used to love drawing and copying from yeah. Those little commando comics are great. Yeah, I mean, my yeah, video games uh, that we've been we talked about already. Um, I think the the ultimate play the game filmation games, the kind of they were like isometric colored um, yeah. games. I think Night Law was the one I remember the most um, on the spectrum. That I wanted to be an artist. You know, I wanted to do though. I wanted to make those games. I loved making games, and um, and so the art, the design bit of it was part of that process. Um, but I, you know, and then I went to school where computers were frowned upon. So, you know, that's that froze that side of it. And I guess I've been trying to get back to that ever since. <laughs> Windsor School for Luddites. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> no, really. You know, it was like being into computers was this the mo- the worst thing you could do. You know. Yeah, it's it's weird. When I was at school, I although I was the kid that drew, I think at that point I never believed I'd ever be good enough to to make a career in that. And I actually wanted to be to study astrophysics. And it wasn't until I discovered how bloody hard maths was at A level <laughs> that I um, adjusted my my sights really and ended up applying for art college. And I don't remember at all the point at which I decided I'd study graphic design. And I don't remember being interested in it as a as a subject. Or even, like you say, even knowing it existed as a subject, I knew about advertising. And I kind of had a, I think I had a bit of an idea about how advertising studios might work. <clears throat> but, um, but yeah, as for graphic design, that was, I don't, I, I wish I could pinpoint the, the moment that I decided to enroll on a graphic design course. But I, I think what we're getting towards is, um, you, you know, you said that we're going to break the kind of, I love design thing is broken down into different facets. Yeah. Um, but one of them is, is identifying things that you did that kind of those nervous ticks that, that signs you out as being a designer um, or, you know, or a creative because yeah. a lot of those, a lot of the things come naturally to you um, and you're not sure why they come naturally to you, you know, how something looks on a page or how it looks on a wall or whatever, um, or what makes it look good or what simplifies something. And that, but that to other people is a real 
magic thing, isn't it? Um, it is. And so it's hard to justify that or to rationalize it. Um, but if you look back at, you know, childhood, uh, those things of, I love taking things apart and putting them together. Lego, you know, Lego. Um, I was always taking electronic things apart at home, which my mum hated because I never could get them back together again. Um, but yeah, I like order and I like making things better. I like improving things. So like, you know, if I was playing a game, I would always, you know, board game, I would always change the rules or make the rules different you know yeah i was always tweaking things um so i i think that that those inherent traits are going to move you into a creative industry which you know kind of design captures you know 90 percent of creative industry is is design isn't it i don't know yeah, yeah. no, that's a that's a big claim isn't it because it's so so wide but you know do you know what i mean of, of, of actually looking at a problem uh and then coming up with some a solution that makes it better yeah, and I mean, I've got that in my notes, but satisfaction of solving a problem right. and whether that's a big thing, like about, you know, how you get a message across or how a brand looks or something small like making a single page, the, the layout of a single page work. You know, it can be you know kind of micro and macro, can't it? It can be the very little things. But it might even be, you know, kerning a title <laughs> and getting it right is, is a satisfying thing um but i guess that solving a problem thing is a is a good trait to have full stop isn't it not just as a designer you know it's i don't you know kind of that whole not being like you say about wanting to fix things and stuff you know not being satisfied with things as they are that's just a nice progressive kind of view isn't it yeah i think also they'll be being bloody minded um and you know focused on on a on a solution um and being able to argue that through is is incredibly important um but it doesn't it doesn't bring the love to design does it that's that's the hard work that's the the hard grunt um but the satisfaction of of winning an winning an argument i guess because you are, you are constantly yeah. having arguments um and i'm bloody minded and i've got chips on my shoulders you know like a more than a fish and chip shop but the so you know for me having arguments is i quite enjoy you know i like that tension i mean i don't at the time but that that's enjoyable you know when you win win an argument i um, do like <clears throat> arguing my point when it comes to design because i think I'm not a confrontational person at all, and I, I tend to shy away from that in most walks of life. But and when it comes to my design, because it's something I've created and I'm confident in it, then I'm more than happy to argue my side of the you know the the issue. Um, and it I, that's not something that phases me. If it was a you know, I'd probably feel much different arguing about. I don't know politics in a pub because there's there's this sense that you know perhaps other people know better than i do whereas if it comes to my own work you know who knows it better than me yeah that's quite a satisfying perspective yeah i mean i don't get a huge amount of satisfaction when jobs go out or they're done or finished i'm kind of like i'm too busy i'm on to the next the next yeah. job um, but so, but solving things and knowing that they've made an improvement to your customer is satisfying. Hmm. Um, and sometimes, yeah, certain designs that I do, I'm really, you know, pretty happy with. Um, but I'm never a hundred percent happy with stuff. <laughs> so, because time is, you know, is fleeting on, you know, when you're a busy little studio, um, I don't have time to faff around with lots of kerning and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, what was the other, um, yeah. The other thing I like, I love about it is, um, is every day is different. You know, if you want a career that is totally different every day, then, um, get into design, especially working for yourself. Um, I think in a studio doing artworking or production side, it can become quite tedious. Um, yes. And I have, you know, generally I have, you know, some days where, yeah, I'm literally just churning through, you know, a massive long list of really boring things. But, you know, I was thinking about what I've done this week. I've wrote that written down what I, you know, I've made some 
I've designed some web templates. I've done. I've designed some food labels. I've sent some adverts to print. I've sent quotes out for print jobs. I've sent off photography, solved some print issues with a printer. I've advised on somebody else's brand guidelines, and um, and then today I've helped a client on the phone uh, do some edits on a PowerPoint presentation as they were waiting outside a client's office. Um, they were very. Yeah, I mean, that is pretty varied, isn't it? Yeah, it's a varied. It's a varied job. So um, you know, I, it keeps me on my toes. Um, and the other thing that it does is it's, it is it encourages learning. You know, you you are you are going to be a successful designer if you love learning or love reading or love exploring yeah. different thoughts and um ideas and and that it, it, there aren't many other jobs that that do that you know you might have to do you know if you're in health and safety you might have to do your exams every couple of years to get you know your knee bosh or whatever it is um but you're not really going to be moving on once you become a certain level are you you're not going to be mm. um you know you don't have to learn all sorts of things i don't know why i suddenly went on health and safety there <laughs> Well, I think kind of related to that, though, about, about learning, I, I think one of the things I love about working in design is that you can draw from all your other interests uh, into design. You know, um, you know, you can always kind of pull something from from an entirely different um, area, which is why I think, like you say, it encourages reading and uh, kind of exploration as a designer because the more the more varied your interests and knowledge and uh, kind of you're almost like a visual dictionary as well the more varied all that is you know the the better it's going to stand you in sort of good stead uh, yeah but you yeah, never no. know when you're going to need something about you know 13th century illustrated manuscripts or 17th century Dutch architecture or you know but yeah. it all, you know, it's surprising what crops up that you think, oh, oh, where did you go? I was just drinking a beer. I'd finished that sentence. <laughs> okay. Uh, chippy, chippy, very chippy. <laughs> One of the other things I I marked down in my notes was about adding clarity to things, which uh, is often about taking things away. I think. Um, you know, clients are often very fearful of white space um, because they think, you know, if there's room, you just need to cram it full of product details or <clears throat> pricing or, I don't know, just extra information. They, You know, clients generally think more is better. Um, and I think as a designer, being able to streamline things and make clients understand that, less can be more and that clarity of of message and you know both visually and through their their words is is more beneficial to them i like that ability to to streamline things um and cut out all the stuff that isn't necessary um that's one of the things that i do like about my job <clears throat> that's an extension of of, of experience though as well isn't it in the fact that you i find nowadays that i'm not so much trying to design design for myself um i design for the goal or the brief mm. or the or, or the customer or the or the user i don't tend to put my own personal feelings into design so therefore i don't yeah. I don't have uh, those creative rages, you know, of like, no, this is the only way to do it. I kind of see both both sides of the story. And it's a lot easier and more enjoyable because it's easier to convince the client of why something is should be like it is. And generally, common sense prevails over cramming, yeah, for example, cramming an advert with, you know, 15 bullet points and a, uh, a, maybe a strap line that's like, you know, three sentences long and, and encouraging them to, to thin it down. Um, but that comes with experience and confidence in, in interpreting the brief, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a point in your career where you're just told to do what you're told to do and you have to just go on and do it. Um, and that can be incredibly not, enjoyable <laughs> unenjoyable and it's yeah. it's it's just it's just experience and it and it and it comes and and now i don't fight that anymore i enjoy designing a lot more um because like i've said in the part i'm not a natural designer i but i am um, you know 
I'm a lot more comfortable designing commercially now than I was. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You've obviously just got there in a, a different way, haven't you? Yeah, it's just Pretty taken me 40 you. years to get there. Oh, well, same here. <laughs> um, yeah, if I, I hadn't I, spent so long managing bars. <laughs> if I haven't spent so long cutting out MDF letters. Okay. Um, no, I think uh, the other thing is that it's um, the design is... Uh, no, I was going to end on, yeah, the design is is common sense combined with good taste. Oh, that's nice. Uh, and... Um, but then I said, then again, people, the supposed majority, just voted Brexit and President Trump into existence. So that's, therefore, we we need design in our lives. Yes. <laughs> um, I do like that, though. Common sense combined with good taste. Well, um, I guess who devi- defines good taste? Um, but yeah, I, I, that's quite a good. Well, it's summation. why you'd go to a designer, wouldn't it? Would it? it yeah, because you well, yeah, you're you think drawing got on there than you. Yeah, otherwise you do it yourself. You yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Are we moaning about clients again? <laughs> no, 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 not all. Um, I've actually thought back to when I was at college. One of the f- one of the things that I was already studying graphic design, but I think there was weirdly a quite a specific point at which I got more interested into it, rather than just being there and doing it because it was something that I thought might suit me. And it was um, it was when you 2 released Actung Baby, which when I was 17 or something, was an album I absolutely loved. And I had it on cassette. And the photography on it was by Anton Corbin. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it was, it was really beautiful. It was kind of these strange, kind of muted, kind of turquoises and really beautiful photography and I think there was a point at which I saw that and thought oh that's what design is the way that album art was put together with the photography and the and the text and the color palette and I guess probably for the next three months I used that color palette completely in all my work but that was I still remember the that kind of moment of revelation of oh this is yeah this is what I want to do um and it that you know there'd been other stuff before that that I thought was brilliant posters and things but I think that was one of the first designed things that I'd seen that kind of I related to as being something that I wanted to to do well let's let's end on that because that's perfect isn't it um so yeah uh loving design <laughs> yes it's a difficult subject to kind of um pin down it is it's very it's very abstract i think and it's it's a lot about um querying yourself as well isn't it it's, you know if you ask yourself why you love anything you're probably going to have a similar sort of battle um <clears throat> because you don't often uh you know ask yourself those sort of questions no no we should do um we should do an episode on some great design as well you know maybe pick or or top top five each top five designs each okay no um philippe stark lemon squeezers or anything like that from me though (laughs) (laughs) have you got a website of the week john well it's not really a website. It's more of a kind of a, con- a thing that I've been thinking about. And um, and a, I think a guy's, uh, a writer, his website's nailed nailed it or is, is exploring it anyway. Um, okay. So does that count as a website of the week? Absolutely. It, it's um, mattgemmel.com. He's a yep. writer. Um, but it's uh, he's exploring using iPad just for working. Um, and I'm trying it at the moment. I'm trying to work my way through kind of unlearning desktop computer use and trying to prize it onto uh, uh an ipad um i know this is how, this is really boring isn't it no, <laughs> but, no, 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 but no. uh but i think it's um it, it's really good his site um it's not i i, I like it it's nicely simply laid out um and he writes really 
clearly and it's just easy to understand um you know he's he's talking about using it for writing novels and uh programming um and those are the kind of the two major things that i'm interested in in the ipad for so uh, mainly writing um yeah so and he's just a big um proponent for um simplification so he's got just a very simple setup um but yeah he's now just working entirely on ipad i tried to do my accounts on the ipad the other night sitting in front of the telly and it was such a slow process you try and get a pdf out of mail <laughs> ios mail oh my god yeah. Uh, yeah. whereas you know on the mac i can do it in seconds so um i don't yeah. like the fact that it sometimes only allows you to sort of save it to ibooks or yeah things like that it's very annoying um, yeah. What do you what have you got a keyboard? Yeah, iPod, yeah, yeah. I have. Yeah, I've got. I've just got a because I had an old Bluetooth one for my old Mac. Um, so I use that. It's like a little short keyboard. Okay. Uh, oh right, I'm with you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I keep thinking that I need to do something similar because I don't have a laptop anymore because it got old, so I just got rid of it. So I've only got my desktop iMac, um, and a lot of the time I don't need to be up here you know, at my desk, um, you know, my studio's upstairs and Steph might be working away downstairs, but we don't necessarily have to be separated by a room. And it'd be nice to be able to kind of sometimes sit on the sofa and, you know, kind of write blog posts or kind of make the notes for the show. And and pretty much all that I have to do <clears throat> on the iMac upstairs. So I really should look into kind of how I can use the iPad to do more of that stuff, but I definitely think it would involve getting a keyboard because, yeah, you know, I think the little the, the little one with the keyboard is just perfect. Yeah, um, yeah, I think it really it really is. But I like the large size of it because I can multitask and I can draw on it. Not that I've done any drawing this year since about February. <laughs> <laughs> I will, I will, I'll get there, I'll get there. What's your website of the week? I've got one. Oh, well, that, that, let's, let's send on good old uh, good old Matt Gemmell there. Um, yeah. yeah, if you want to read I'll about have, have good being, doing some professional writing on an iPad. Um, and I'm going to go on to your pie. <coughs> What's your pie this week? It's uh, a steak and ale pie from James's Butchers in Shepparton. And it's handmade by one of the butcher's wives or mums. Uh, and it's a big pie. You know, it's almost dinner plate sized steak wow. pie okay very nice i've got a quarter of it just for the moment very crispy uh flaky pastry um quite it's got that kind of gloopy steak um kind of gravy to it uh, and i'm now i'll have a taste now and burn my mouth so just bear with me mouth burnt mm. that's really nice nothing fancy just a really good steak and ale pie really rich soft meat crispy pastry pretty good and I'm washing it down with um, Mags's Magnificent Mild from the West Berkshire Brewery oh which is quite nice. It, I think mild's always um, always a bit sort of flat on your palate. I think a mild, but um, it's all right with a steak and ale pie. Mm. How about you? Well, I've got um, like garage shop uh, um, pie this week. It's a Marks and Spencer short crust pastry chicken pie with a badge on it that says "Tastes of the British Isles." I just wonder, wonder which bit. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's you know, a, a pie in a tin. It's oval-shaped. Um, I've cracked into it. It's got, like, a short crust pastry. I love a good chicken pie. Yeah. I might, I might like chicken pies better than steak pies, to be honest. It's not bad. I, do you know what? This one really takes me back, because my grandmother used to get this. She used to work in Marks and Spencer's in Watford, and she used to bring them back. So it really does take me, you know, overcooked vegetables. Um <laughs> And uh, a gravy that is very strange. Um, it's dark gravy actually inside it. But you know what? It's not. It's not bad. Uh, the pastry is good. I'm going to give it a 
five. Five. Mine's gonna get a mine's gonna get a seven. That's a good, honest steak and earl pie. Excellent. Um, there's nothing wrong with that at all. So ne- next week is well, not next week. Week after is um is December, isn't it? So I think we should switch to mince pies for the entire yeah. month. For the entire month, we yeah. can do that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Brilliant. Um, Great idea. Right. Uh, I'm done. What about you? Me too. <laughs> Anything planned to for the rest of the week? Are you working? Uh, back in Shoreditch tomorrow and back in um, London on Saturday for a wedding. Bethnal Green and Temple Church, which my wife assures me is a beautiful church. Right. Um, never visited it before, so I look forward to seeing that. It's one of the lovely things about the, you know, helping out with weddings is I do get to visit all these nice churches. Ah, is that that one on the green? Is it? I don't know. Ah. Um, and uh, and are you working next week or not? I am working most of next week. I think they've uh, they want me in. Right. Depends how quickly I work. Oh, right. I might do a visit up to London next week. Yeah. Um, so oh, I'll yeah. Um, and my brother don't do it on says, Friday because I'm not in on Friday. Right. Well, my brother said to go to his restaurant as well, um, oh. which is up in Russell Square. So it's near that. Um, near the British Library. Mm. So maybe oh, yeah. I'll awesome. be in touch. Okay, brilliant. All right. Well, then. enjoy your weekend. I hope uh, the, uh, the the mists of plague lift a little. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, we'll be allowed out once more. Yeah, fingers crossed. All right, then. Well, All right, take care, you soon. Take care. Uh-huh. Bye. Uh, we also didn't introduce the show, did we? Oh, yeah. Do you want to do it now? It's your turn to do it. So and then I'll it? just bring it on the end. What number is it? It's 37. Sorry, I'm just... Uh... <laughs> Are you clearing your throat? I was. Are you... Ma, 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 ma. <laughs> I stood up for this bit so my diaphragm can extend. Uh, welcome to episode 37 of North v South the podcast about but not about design uh, i'm rob turpin and my, my uh, podcast partner is john Ellerman. good evening john hello <laughs> okay cut hey, cut that in somewhere <laughs> or maybe just leave it at the end like an afterthought <laughs>